0: welcome to episode three of The Right Interpretation. I am your host, Greg Tuttle, and joining me for the third time are Margie Lemoyne, Megan Sanders, and Carla Tuttle. We also have two more English teachers, Tamara Barrett and Courtney Black, who will be providing some of this week's insight. This week, we will be discussing Mirror by Sylvia Plath. Though Plath is most famous for her semi-autobiographical novel, The Bell Jar, She did publish over 50 short stories and several books of poetry by the time of her death at age 30. Plath consistently dealt with depression and sadly took her life. The poem Mirror will be a heavy discussion we can all relate to in some way. Hopefully, you will find your place in it. Let's begin with a reading of the poem by Megan Sanders, then continue with Courtney, who will open our discussion about the title.
1: Mirror by Sylvia Plath. I am silver and exact. I have no preconceptions. Whatever I see, I swallow immediately, just as it is, unmisted by love or dislike. I am not cruel, only truthful. The eye of a little god, four-cornered. Most of the time, I meditate on the opposite wall. It is pink with speckles. I've looked at it so long, I think it is a part of my heart, but it flickers. Faces and darkness separate us over and over. Now I am a lake. A woman bends over me, searching my reaches for what she really is. Then she turns to those liars, the candles or the moon. I see her back and reflect it faithfully. She rewards me with tears and agitation of hands. I am important to her, She comes and goes. Each morning, it is her face that replaces the darkness. In me, she has drowned a young girl. And in me, an old woman rises toward her day after day like a terrible fish.
0: Okay, Courtney, talk
2: about the title. Yeah, so the first thoughts I had about the title were actually just come, come from Snow White. It sounds silly, but that's a first thought, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? So we look in the mirror and we hope to receive the answer we want to hear, but like Snow White, ultimately and ideally we see the truth. So the mirror reflects the truth or says the truth as it did in Snow White. Uh, also truth mirrors, uh, mirrors symbolize social pressures to fit in, to be accepted, to test our own outcome. So we may ask ourselves, like when we look in the mirror, like, do we look the part? Um, Are we acceptable in society's eyes? Have we become what we wanted to become? Do we like who we are? Um, And when we look in a mirror, we may also tend to see flaws in ourselves that others do not see, um, maybe not allowing ourselves to appreciate or even notice our own beauty that we have. So when you look in a mirror, we're checking for what is out of place or what has become worse since yesterday as we age. So perhaps then a mirror could also symbolize time and how we change throughout life. Um, Often we may glance too quickly in the mirror too, like as we're running out the door, we will have that quick check to see that we're presentable without taking a closer, deeper look at our souls and who we really are and what we stand for. Um, I've also known people that um, if they're in a room with a mirror, they have to look at themselves in that mirror. I don't know if you guys know anyone like that. Yes. They have to walk by and they have to look at themselves. So maybe for those people, it's like confirmation that they're alive, that they're really there. Um, Or it could also be like that infatuation with themselves, like narcissists. Um, So those are some of my initial ideas on, on mirrors and what they can represent.
0: When when Megan chose the poem, as I headed into it, as I thought about the title, I think about looking at oneself in an honest manner. I'm I'm very interested in discussing this poem and this idea of a mirror. As a teacher, I'm always looking at what went well and what did not go well, throwing out things no longer effective. And even if I spent lots of times lots of time making the lesson or if I've used the lesson for years and years. Um, just always constantly reflecting and trying to get better. So I'm interested in getting busy calling ourselves out, essentially. But another idea of a mirror uh, occurs to me with bodybuilding. I did a bodybuilding show many years ago, and I remember practicing and practicing posing in front of a mirror just for hours and hours, uh, not at one time, but a total of many, many hours. So I always... I'm one of those people who does sort of, you know, look in the mirror every time I go by it.
3: I do too. And I think um, that comes from the fact that because of my background, I have this love hate relationship with mirrors. Mine comes from insecurity. So my mom and grandmother drilled into me how important it is to look a certain way. So I always want to make sure that not only do I look a certain way um, for other people, but it's for myself as well. And then because of that, I see things that I don't like about myself. When I look in the mirror, the first thing I notice is my nose. I think it's way too long. Or I look at my hair um, that's beginning to turn gray even just a week after I've been to the salon. And then sometimes I can catch a glimpse of myself when I see this glare on my face that other people say that I have, that I don't mean to have, um, but this glare suggests that I disapprove of what someone has said or done. So when I think of a mirror, I think that you can't really hide anything. You can't conceal anything, especially if you have a large one that you're looking into.
4: Well, um, I was looking at the title before I read the poem and trying to figure something out before I got any further, and I expect it to mean to reflect as a mirror calls me to take a closer look. And um, I also wondered, am I am I to see what other people see, or am I to see something I have not noticed before? I also think of copy when I think of the no. word. Here. Right, so i'm feeling I'm feeling that I'm not sure what the poem's going to reveal, but it could be vanity as well. sometimes I think of vanity,
0: sure good, good. a good good discussion at the beginning. We'll continue with paraphrase uh Megan,
1: yeah, so even before I get into that, that, I just want to say, guys, I loved hearing your comments just on mirror, like mirror is such a heavily symbolic image and word like it's both a noun and a verb and i just oof man that's a lot right off the bat all right um so talking about like what the act what actually happens in this poem um right off the bat i am struck by the personal pronoun um it says i am silver and exact to me that almost sounds like a riddle right like i i feel like i'm about to hear someone say i am this i am that guess what i am um and if i didn't have the title I wouldn't know what I is, but because I do, it makes me think that the the mirror itself is speaking. Um, especially because in the second stanza it goes, "Now I am a lake," and so it makes me think that it changes from the mirror to the lake. Um, and the first stanza, then, it's focusing on the life of the mirror. It seems to be talking about like what it sees, what it reflects, the truth that it tells. It says that a mirror is exact; it is truthful. It is not cruel, even though we may feel that the truths uh, it shows are cruel. Um, it refers to itself as, a, as the eye of a little god four-cornered. Um, and I think that's definitely something that we're going to get into a lot later in our annotations or our discussions. Um, so it also says it makes, and since people only use mirrors sometimes, it makes sense that most of the time it is meditating on the opposite wall and knows the details of it is pink and speckled. Um, that always to me stood out as kind of something weird, like a wall that is pink and speckled, it makes it sound like a person, but I don't know, maybe it was just a common wall color of the 60s. Um, the second stanza says, now I am a lake, so the, to me, the, the narrator kind of shifts, um, but a lake and a mirror still have that common identity of a reflection, so the speaker is still a reflection, but it's focusing more on the actions of the woman who comes to bend over it than it is its own qualities. Um, she is described as searching in the reflection for herself, but first turns to the liars of the moon and the candlelight. And then when she, and when she is reflected back faithfully by the lake, she uses her hands in an agitation of hands. That to me suggests that she like takes her hands and like rushes in the water to kind of disrupt the water and and thus the reflection. Um, so clearly it's, it literally says the lake reflection is important to the girl Um, And she spends a lot of time staring at it, so much so that eventually she becomes old. The language in this line is hugely violent, though. She does not age gracefully, but instead drowns a young girl, and the image of the old woman rises like a terrible fish.
4: Um, I I like your reference to a riddle. I think, um, by the way it's structured, it makes us look different, uh, deeper into it. When I read the line now, I am a lake, I feel that the speaker is the same, that the mirror is applying a metaphor to show the woman is l- mm. looking deeper into the mirror at her reflection, and that she's bending over to see something more. So it's so a very sophisticated
1: yeah. mirror. Yes, <laughs> the, mirror has, the mirror has a voice of its own. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's definitely true.
0: Uh, Megan, I don't know that this is true. But th- at one time, there was a sheriff in Davidson County who painted jail cells a pink color because supposedly really? it, it was supposed to have a calming effect on prisoners. So huh. knowing I don't know that this is true, but knowing that she was depressed, maybe it's a it's symbolic that way. a sort of a calming effect on, on the author. Uh, I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, and she she spent a lot of time in asylums, too, so maybe maybe it's a reference to that too. I don't know
0: it it could be it could be interesting okay, miss Barrett, uh you're up with connotation
5: so i I actually loved the first stanza so much that I really didn't make a lot of notes on it, <laughs> but i I really like the words. Silver and exact. Um, They really show a confidence that this mirror knows who it is. It has no preconceptions. Whatever you give me is what I take, and I show you what you show me. And um, that's why it's not cruel, it's only truthful. So I'm only giving to you what you've given me. That's what I get from that first stanza. And I do like the um, metaphor of the little god or cornered having control over what it has control over even as it meditates and when i look at the um the words pink speckles and on um, the opposite wall this made me think of the yellow wallpaper mm. I apologize, um, speaking about the pink speckled wall, I read the yellow wallpaper some years ago and what, what's that, do y'all remember Perkins, Gilmore Perkins, I think was the name of the writer, but she was actually in an insane asylum. Somebody please.
1: Um I think somebody was also uh going on off of that idea of the eye of the little god four cornered and the idea of the meditate on the opposite wall. Hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. Does hang somebody on, else want to pick up since I think Tamara's having some
0: Yeah. Uh yes. Margie, just pick up with her the lake part in the yellow. Sure. Okay. And give me a second and I'll start okay, recording. So again.
2: You ready?
4: Yeah. Who am I?
0: Okay, due to some technical difficulties, uh, Ms. Barrett's not able to do her section on connotation, but she gave us the notes and we'll have Ms. Lemoyne read those.
4: All right, great. Uh, continuing with connotation, uh, Tamara writes that she commented that the lake represents deep reflection and the image of one bending over the water study, studying their reflection is very clear. The personification of the mirror is necessary because the mirror is the speaker. And it wants wants to let us know that it does not lie. When speaking of the old woman, the mirror says, she bends over me. So she's searching the depths of the mirror for maybe the depths of her soul, asking who am I? Uh, She goes on and she writes that she, she drowned a girl and we ask ourselves, how? How did she drown, that girl? Why did she? And then when she rises, she rises as an old woman like a terrible fish. So we ask ourselves, we continue to ask, is the mirror referring to her literal back when she refers to her back? Or is it saying, I look at her back and I reflect what she wants to see for choosing so, for showing her what she wants to see. She rewards me with her tears. And what is the agitation of her hands about? Is she hitting the mirror? When personified, the mirror is what she needs, what we need. Something to show us who we are, inwardly and outwardly. A revelation that will be made if we search deep enough.
0: Um, more connotation. I didn't I didn't realize this at first until Megan pointed it out and that bothers me because I'm pretty astute about these sorts of things, but the, two, the stans, poems' two stanzas mirror each other in style. Both stanzas have nine lines. Both stanzas begin with a half-line statement. Both stanzas end lines lines three, five, and nine with a period. Uh, well, Not everything has to be perfectly mirrored between the two stanzas to see that the style is, is purposeful. I just found that very interesting that she wrote the poem in the style of a mirror.
2: Yeah, very cool. Another thought I had too was the allusion to Narcissist. So when she writes, in me she has drowned a young girl. So Narcissist loved his youthful reflection so much that he fell into his reflection and he drowned in the lake. And then a Narcissist flower, which looks like a daffodil replaced that image. But here in the poem, we have the mirror has drowned that young girl um, who once loved her image when she was younger, but now she's replaced it with an old woman who is a terrible fish. So instead of a flower, something beautiful, we have how she sees herself as a terrible fish. And
1: Courtney, it's really interesting too, because like you just said that the mirror drowns the young girl, but if you look at the actual line, it's an active verb that the woman drowns the young girl. Um, so, and I, I, I think we all kind of took the young girl as the younger version of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not the mirror that commits this murder, but the woman has done it to herself. Um, and so I, I don't really know necessarily what this means, but to me, it's maybe perhaps a comment on the woman, uh, how by focusing so much on her reflection, her outer appearance, she's wasting her youth, her vitality, or, or even her soul. Um, and then the, the thing, like you said, rather than a flower that comes out of it, is a terrible fish. Like, I know that growing old can be scary, but for this woman, it seems monstrous.
3: I, yeah, keep looking, I keep looking at that metaphor in line five, the eye of a little god four-cornered, and all I could think about when I read the poem was that line reminds me of the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckleburg, staring over the valley of the ashes in the Great Gatsby like something omniscient that sees what's really there, rather than the image we want to project for others. And in the novel, Myrtle Wilson, who is Tom's mistress, um, she lives in this rundown area outside of New York City and she desperately wants to be part of the upper class she is lower class very common in her actions and her language yet she tries to present herself as a respectable woman of social standing and she's not a likable character um and she wants to ingratiate herself with tom's friends but that that billboard it keeps staring down at this compost heap where she and her husband live as if as if it sees right through her and her intentions so this mirror is like that eye or those eyes of Dr. T.J. Echelberg. Um, this mirror sees all that it reflects. Nothing is hidden and it only shows what's real and what is the truth.
1: Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. Like that over, that omnipresent eye of T.J. Eckleburg is just like the omnipresent eye of the, the God of the mirror. Um, but I think it's it's also the omnipotence. The second stanza, which focuses on the woman, reveals how much stock she puts in her reflection. I mean, she goes back to it every day. She, uh, it's enough to, for her to, like, kill her younger self in it. Um, and the mirror, truthful as it is, as much as she and we all may not like what we see, it holds great sway over her um, and all of us in some ways. Um, so one line that I wanted to bring back to you guys is... That second line, actually, where it says, um, it uses the word swallow. It says, in context, I have no preconceptions. Whatever I see, I swallow immediately, just as it is unmisted by love or dislike. For a poem that's all about reflections, this use of the word swallow seemed really odd to me, um, and I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Hmm.
4: Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's wor- definitely worth looking at. It's, that word is chosen on purpose. Well, I don't know. and anybody have ideas on this?
2: And it kind of connects to the word drowned, I think, too.
1: Right? And the fish.
0: hmm
1: Also, I'm not going to lie. Part of me always goes back to the fact that she um, was suicidal. And so swallowing always makes me think of swallowing pills.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't don't think you can disconnect that her background from any specific word like that. I think she would be very intentional about that kind of language.
3: Right. I don't know. I guess when I, I, I almost commented on this line earlier today when I was finishing my notes and then I decided not to, but. And I I don't know if this is right or not, but when I think of um, swallow, whatever I see I swallow immediately, I think of absorption. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that kind of goes back to what I mentioned about the eyes and how sometimes we want to project a certain image of ourselves, even if that's not really what we are. I think whatever we project on the outside, that's what people take and what they absorb, um, and maybe that's how they know us at face value um, before they really get to know us.
0: You had a speckled. I guy. agree, with Carla. Okay, Tim, go ahead.
5: Yeah, I was. I'm in agreement with Carla. I do believe that at first glance, we take everything in. It's almost as if, I know women, we look at each other almost from head to toe. We are swallowing that woman from head to toe. And I think that's what the mirror is referencing.
4: Right. And the word that immediately that follows it, right? It's that first impression. I take it. I swallow it. I take it in immediately.
5: I'm only giving you what you give me. Exactly. And nothing escapes. Yeah. Right. Hmm.
2: Good word. Courtney,
0: what about the speckled pink idea you had?
2: Well, this just came to me as you know we read this again. So well, pink I think does reference, I mean, pink is the most like obvious female color, and I think this is yeah. also addressing women's constraints or society's preconceptions of women. So I think that's the why the color pink, but then speckled pink or the the wall that's pink and speckled. um, As Megan was reading it, I thought of an egg, like a speckled egg. And this may may be totally out there. Um, But I don't know if you guys know speckles on the egg is that camouflage to help protect them from predators. And the speckles actually strengthen the core, the shell of the egg, rather. Mm. So um, and the, the mirror is actually ingested that speckled pink wall. It is a part of that mirror. And um, the mirror is strong, tells the truth, it's four cornered, um, but it also it's like camouflage in the sense that we're not really sure what it's telling us. I don't know, totally out there, but I just had the thought, so. <laughs> oh,
0: that's, that's Steve. I didn't even-
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: I didn't even think about the speckled part. Thank you for sharing it. That's what I like about these things. I'm always learning something. Okay, I'll take the attitude, which is the tone. And I'm gonna separate the attitude or tone into two parts. Two tones for stanza one and three tones for stanza two. The first stanza's tone is objective or impartial. That's the first. It doesn't really make a judgment of the pink and speckled opposite wall. The mirror objectively accepts it as it is. The stanza also has a sentimental tone, I feel, a tenderness. The mirror has seen a pink opposite wall so much that it's become a part of the soul of the mirror. And even though an occasional person, or even though an occasional person might walk between them, things that are tender to us become a part of our souls. Or, to word it differently, that which is in our heart and our soul we hold dear or tender. Now stanza two is a different beast in regards to tone. To me, gone are the impartial and sentimental tones; they're replaced by impassioned and judgmental tones. I find the impassioned tone when the water describes the candles and moon as liars. Almost no one calls uh, someone else a liar in a passive way. The phrases "you're a liar" or "that's a lie" are all are almost always filled with emotion. This. Impassion tone is also expressed at the end of the stands in several lines. I am important to her. Her face replaces the darkness. And young girl drowns slash old woman rises. If you are important to someone, that evokes a deep emotion. If you are the face that brightens someone else's mood, you evoke a deep emotion. And most certainly, deep, deep emotions arise when you reflect on aging. For That realization for many people is almost too overwhelming. It seems to be for the woman in the second stanza and the, and the water calls her out on it.
4: Yes, I, the water does call her out on it. I, I think the mirror, if you think of the water as a metaphor for the mirror, I think the mirror is reflecting the woman's own judgmental tone at mm-hmm. this point. Because even when the woman turns to the moon and the candles, she knows She knows that they do not reveal the truth. She knows that they are the liars, and the mirror uh, reflects that.
3: Yeah, I think that's true, Margie, but she wants them to be truthful to her. Like, she wants to believe that that's true, even though deep down she knows it's it's not the truth.
4: Right. She still looks that way. She still looks toward the liars.
0: Good.
3: So there seems to be a shift in line seven, when the speaker says, I have looked at it so long, I think it's part of my heart. She sounds objective and and very matter of fact until that sentence. But when she mentions the heart of the mirror, now she sounds sentimental, as if that wall is part of her entire being. They've been together for a long time, maybe like a couple in a relationship. Yet she says she thinks, it's part of her heart so she isn't certain and next she says but it flickers faces in darkness separate us over and over that phrase but it flickers and that that contrast word but and then the word separate almost make her sound jealous and sorrowful about having to reflect something other than this pink speckled wall because for this brief time that she can't reflect the wall they can't be together and then, but shows that sharp contrast and suggests that they are not one in the same at all. And, and I don't know why, but that word flickers reminded me of a fickle partner who isn't consistently loyal. Line 10 presents a shift to being objective and impartial again when she says, Now, I'm ala- now I am a lake. A woman bends over me, searching my reaches for what she really is. The speaker is matter of factly stating what she sees. However, when she says in line 12, then she turns to those liars, the the candles or the moon, the use of the word liars has a really strong connotation. She's no longer impartial and becomes accusatory, judgmental, and and almost kind of self-righteous. The soft glow of candles or the soft light of the moon provides very little light and conceals anything that someone wishes to hide but the lake knows that she alone will provide the truth to whatever or whoever is looking into her and condemns the light of the candles in the moon for being deceptive. And there seems to be a shift again in line 13 when she says she's faithful and the line reads, I see her back and reflect it faithfully, which to me was a contrast to the end of the first stanza where she says it flickers. So I thought there was that contrast between maybe, um, Almost like a sense of infidelity but now she's being faithful and this reflection from the lake is faithful and steady always the same without interruption even though the woman doesn't like what she sees and then lines 13 through 15 sound almost validated as if she is pleased not conceited but pleased to know that she's important to this woman Who continues to look into her each day she says that she is rewarded and is important and then there's a last shift in lines 17 through 18 where i went back and forth on this but i finally decided to me the speaker seems pitying yet very candid in me she has drowned a young girl and in me an old woman rises toward her day after day like a terrible fish she understands and sympathizes with the woman who can't believe that she looks like looks nothing like she thought she did and here's this woman growing older each day and she's crying and and i didn't see i mean not that not that i disagree because i can see it both ways but i didn't see her her agitated hand so much as washing the reflection away in the lake to me that said that maybe she's wringing her hands Literally, she seemed upset about her physical appearance, but she could also be upset about what she sees within herself as she looks at the reflection of her face. That phrase, terrible fish, is very powerful. And some fish are ugly, and, and, and I don't know, I just, I don't think fish are very beautiful creatures, and if you do, that's great, but mm. I, I think they're ugly for the most part. And then this terrible fish might even be menacing, and I'm reminded of the bitter critical old ladies I used to know from church when I was a child. And of course some of them I know now um, as an adult. Careful. And I'm just saying. They always have this this scowl on their faces and they've lost their ability to see the good in others. And they're terribly unhappy with themselves and therefore try to make themselves feel better by pointing out the flaws of those around them or the flaws
4: of the world around them. Um, so I, I want to make a comment just about um, the voice in the poem because it flickers like Carlo was referring to. It does flicker, it changes. Um, it's a clever, It's a clever strategy, I think, that the poet uses. The shifts in tone are indicated by word choice, as we mentioned before. And what's intriguing to me is that, and I didn't get it on the first read, I had to go back and read it to see it, but it's intriguing that the mirror not only reflects the woman's appearance, but the mirror's voice also reflects the woman's attitude. We talked about the tone changing. It changes as the woman approaches the mirror. And and then when she turns toward the liars, it changes a little. And it continues to change as she turns her back on the mirror, right? There's that flicker in tone. It's almost easy to forget whose tone is really present, as the mirror is still the speaker. But the mirror is merely
1: mirroring the woman. It's so cool. I love it. And so I just wanted to put in, too, that, like, I think it's really interesting that we keep coming back to this line about the, the liars, the moon, and the candles, Um, and I don't think anyone has mentioned it yet, but when I think of moon and candles, I think about romance, like, I know they're supposed to, like, hide your, your, your flaws and your, your, you know, your pimples and whatever, Um, but, like, it's also beauty and romance, and, like, they soften the harshness of your reality, and yet here they are liars, um, and I, I just wonder if if it's suggesting something about, you know, that the idea of romance and being taken away by your imagination um, or, like, things that aren't truth. And yet, like, what happens to this woman by, like, focusing so much on the truth is that she turns into a terrible fish. Um, so I don't know. Maybe romance isn't so bad.
4: Tamara,
0: jump in.
1: Okay.
5: I am. So, going back to that word flickers, and I think it is part of my heart, but it flickers. Um, Faces in darkness separate us over and over. I think it's what we allow to become, to come between us. It's the liars and the naysayers that we allow to come between us, really getting to know who we are. and that is why the mirror becomes upset she turns to those liars the candles or the moon because the candles and the moon they reflect shadows and sometimes those shadows are our fears and instead of facing the truth we turn to those naysayers and those the haters we have to know what the haters are saying about us versus The mirror who says, I see her back and I reflect her, I reflect it faithfully. And she rewards me with tears and agitation. Um, I'm glad that I'm important to her, but I want her to know that each morning it is her face that replaces the darkness. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm.
5: And I think that is what we have to recognize as people, that it is we who replace the darkness. We have to get the shadows out of our lives. And it's you know, at the end of the day, it's up to us whether or not we allow ourselves to do that.
3: Yes, virtual. That's high what five. I
0: got. <laughs> virtual high five. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Very nice. Good. Uh, okay, Courtney, let's go back to the title.
2: So I think the title is about looking at oneself ideally in an honest manner, but I kind of question like, can complete honesty and complete truth um, is an ideal that's near impossible to attain? Um, I think it's difficult to find honesty within ourselves. So we can look again and again at the mirror, but maybe we only see our flaws and not our gifts, or we see our gifts and not our flaws, which would be a narcissist. So I think we have to have that balance between the two to see ourselves accurately we have to acknowledge our gifts right which we can use to fix our flaws but if we only see flaws or we only see gifts we're going to get nowhere so like the questions remain like can honesty within ourselves be fully attained do we ever know the impact of our actions our beliefs and hidden truths that we cannot even see so i thought about like the lake you know representing truth it's fluid it's always changing so like what's true one day may not be true the next day Um, and what someone else may see in the mirror is different than what we may see. So the truth at this moment is the obvious disconnect that she feels, this woman feels in her own life, Um, and that disconnect is preventing her from moving forward, especially since we also know that she committed suicide. So this, this woman is unable to rewrite her own history or try again, even though she is unhappy with how she has turned out. So I think we have to have the courage to to want to start all over again even when we're unhappy with, with what we see in the um theoretical mirror oh, I
0: like that. Um,
2: and then too just about women like i think women spend more time in front of a mirror than a man does um and this may also imply additional pressures that a woman feels to be accepted to stay looking youthful while a man has less societal pressure to do so like cosmetically um, So do we see ourselves in the mirror or what society says we should see, but we don't see? Um, Or do we turn to those liars um, who tell us we're okay the way we are when we're not? Um, So, and, you know, I just wonder as this woman ages, what is the mirror saying will be her lasting impact, her final days Because this woman's, you know, worrying about aging and the end of her life. Um, And this woman sees herself as a terrible fish which would prevent her from realizing the future that she wants to have, so she's full of self-loathing and judgment that she casts on herself that stops her in her tracks. Like, she's not going to go anywhere with that type of temperament. So I don't know, like, to move on, she needs to stop examining her physical appearance, and she needs to start searching her soul for answers on how to age. But then I also wonder, is the poem maybe telling us not to take ourselves too seriously and to not be so self-consumed and look outward and up? instead of inward and down, like she does. So that's that's also a thought I had about the title mirror.
0: Now you're making me think more about, we're coming to the end of the discussion, I have more to think about than I did before. Uh, The the more I think about the title after reading the poem several times, the more I take it away, I take the title away from the poem. And I mean this, just in the past week, we've been forced to take a hard look at ourselves. To hold up our own mirror and see just where we stand on an issue and i really like that shadow image that tamara gave us a minute ago i mean what thinking about what are the shadows in my life that are keeping me from being the person I, i'm supposed to be or i want to be and i can't i can't say that i find that easy though but i do find it worthwhile
3: yes i agree um the truth hurts um but it's very necessary for us to be honest with ourselves about our flaws, whatever they might be, so we can grow personally. And I know just from teaching um, freshmen or even like in interacting with um, adults on a daily basis, you don't always wanna hear the truth. You want, and I'm including myself in this, you want reassurance that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing or you're saying what you're supposed to be saying. and and when someone um, or something happens that calls you out on that, then that's hard to deal with. It might be like that terrible fish that's staring you in the face. And just a little side comment. I I laughed a little bit when I read this poem um, because I always thought about my mom. Um, and she still does this. She's 81, and she still asks me, she'll send me a picture of Carla, does this look all right? Um, do I look okay how's my hair and and I just tell him Mom, that's ugly okay you should not be wearing that or that looks really good on you um, and years ago it used to hurt her feelings and now she knows if she wants an honest answer then she asked me instead of someone else but you have to get to that point where you can take the truth Markie?
4: yeah good point I. I love the personal connections that we are all making to this poem and the connections to our times, um, to current events. We should always ask, how is this important to our culture, to us now, to our culture now? And I think you make excellent points about how difficult it is to look deeper at ourselves. And as um, Courtney mentioned, to find a balance examine where do we go from here? How, how we react to what we see and how we respond to the truth are so important.
1: Yeah, and I, I really like your, everybody's focus on like handling the truth and, you know, really reflecting on the truth that you see in the mirror. Um, but I, I just keep coming back to this woman, Maybe maybe it's just the fact that she wasn't able to accept the truth that she saw, that she became this like terrible fish in the end, um, but to me, part of part of the message of this poem too is that if we become too narcissistic, if we spend too much time staring at ourselves, then we're going to drown ourselves too. And so, like, I definitely think this reflection and this truth understanding is important. But I think also being able to look up from the mirror and look at the world around you as well is important too in this poem.
0: If you don't, you become like her the mirror in the first stanza, what right, cool. it becomes part of your soul. You get so caught up. Tamra, you yeah, want to like,
1: I don't want I don't want a mirror to be a god to me. You know?
0: Right. Tamra, jump in. I'm
5: sorry. I was just I was so engaged. I was just so engaged in all of what you said and what man was saying was yeah she gets so lost in it that she forgot to live and that's where the fish comes she's a hag and that is definitely not the purpose of life
0: (laughs) and our final topic today is theme and we will begin with miss lemoyne
4: All right, so theme, what are we supposed to take away from this poem? And ideally, right, a theme is expressed in a complete sentence. So how do we do that? We start thinking about the messages, the topics first, maybe, and then the messages we take and the thoughts we take away from it. And I, one of the things that I think about this mirror is that it really does only reflect so much, right? Maybe the woman in the poem is looking for the wrong things. Her Mm -hmm. own preconceptions prevent her from seeing more. She looks deeply and regularly, but she comes away agitated as she sees only mirror. As commented before, the tonal shifts in the language are important. It's the mirror who says the woman rises as an ugly fish. And yet in the beginning, the mirror claims to have no preconceptions and reveals only the truth in no cruel terms. I see the woman is becoming old and maybe ugly as her preconceptions do not allow her to reflect longer and see more. If she did, maybe she would smile. (laughs) (laughs) You might try. I mean, think about how women approach the mirror. What do they do? She might try to adjust her hair Mm -hmm. or pinch her cheeks. She might shrug her shoulders and smirk. And then maybe the mirror would not reflect a woman who rises like an ugly fish. So to make these thoughts into a theme that can be expressed in one sentence, perhaps it's something like this. We must look deeply to see who we truly are and what we do with that revelation continues to make us who we are.
0: Very nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Well done. I didn't take a theme from the whole poem. I kind of poured it out of something in the second stanza. Uh, I got when at the end with the young girl and the old woman reference. Uh, we're going to age and how we react to that aging often determines our happiness in the aging process. I find this a lot when I exercise. Things hurt a lot more than they used to. I'm not as fast and I have to come to terms with the fact that I cannot do all of the things I used to do. And when I do accept those things, I seem to grow up a lot faster, uh, even though it's tough.
3: And I I keep coming back to the line, I am not cruel, only truthful. Why are we so reluctant Um, to see our inner flaws and I'm I'm not talking about looking at a physical appearance any longer in the mirror this is all about introspection instead of accepting the truth for what it is why are we often defensive or blind to it and we can readily see the flaws of others and are very quick to point them out or be critical of them yet we have difficulty accepting our own And, and that's something I've been thinking a lot about over the last few weeks um, with everything that we see going on in current events, with um, a lot of what I see as playing the blame game and finger pointing and defensiveness instead of addressing um, the root of the issues that are really there.
4: Um, I I agree I that it is difficult to see our own flaws, sometimes. Uh, but I think we, it is also difficult to see our own beauty. And clearly the woman in the poem has trouble seeing it. Sylvia Plath had trouble seeing it. Mm-hmm. It is becomes more and more difficult, especially as we age. And we know that it's difficult for others to see it especially in a culture so focused on appearances and enthralled with remaining youthful.
0: Tamara. Mm-hmm.
5: I definitely agree with everything you all have said. I, I think that when I look back at the theme, we've got to be able to take the truth, whatever it is, be married to ourselves, for better or for worse, and and work to come out on top, not work to lose ourselves in our reflection.
1: I agree. So the only thing that I want to add is not analytical at all. So this this week was a poem that I have taught on multiple occasions and I love it so much and I'm just really glad that you all enjoyed it too. Um, and I heard a lot of things that I had never even considered. So this is gonna make me a better AP teacher. So thanks guys.
0: Good, um, I, was had, much fun. I, love uh, I had not read any Sylvia Plath. Tamara, you have, give us some insight because you said she's one of your favorite poets.
5: Well, I have thought her before because she's, she's different. Her poem, Metaphors is one that I, um, have taught and when you all were speaking about each one of the stanzas having a nine lines um metaphors is nine lines as well and she starts off by saying i am a riddle in nine lines and yeah. i want to say that yes and i want to say that each line of poetry is nine syllables as well so she's very exact and um she reminds me a lot in that way of um, Emily Dickinson, because those were they were very purposeful poets or writers, if you will. And I just I want to say this. I'm so sad because as soon as I heard about you know, the way she died, um, I think about the brilliance and what must be happening in her head all the time. For her to write as much as she did, even that you know before the age of thirty, that she forgot to live. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
5: I don't know. It it saddens me, but um, I definitely can understand <sighs> the plight that a writer has. It it takes a lot to put those words on the paper.
0: Sure, sure. Well, thank everyone. So, listener, now you know where we stand regarding Sylvia Plath's mirror. The next question is, where do you stand? Both in the poem and in the issues raised therein. Let's challenge ourselves to do two things. One, look deeply and honestly into your mirror and be honest with your flaws and your beauties. Make changes to improve. Second, let's hold up mirrors to things in our society that need attention. Social injustice, mental illness, and health care, just to name three. And let's make changes to those as well. Again, repair the flaws and strengthen the beauty. I would like to thank Margie Lemoyne, Megan Sanders, Carla Tuttle, Tamara Barrett, and Courtney Black for their time and insight. I am Greg Tuttle, and we will see you next time on The Right Interpretation.